You are listening to the Impact Church Podcast. To learn more about Impact Church, visit us online at impactharlem.org. You can also check us out on social media. Amen. It's Easter. Everybody excited about Jesus? Yes. Hey, that's why we're here, right? That's why we're here every single week is to worship the name of of Jesus, man. There's no other name but the name of Jesus. That's why we do what we do. That's why we can live life in freedom. And we're in a series right now at Impact Church through the book of Colossians, and we're going to continue in that series. But what I want us to do is I want us to just to think about the, the burdens, right? And, and a lot of pastors say, hey, leave your burdens at the door. Don't bring them in. Well, I know you already did. So I want you to just think about those burdens that you brought in with you this morning. I want you to think about all the stuff that happened before church even started today. How many of you experienced something this morning before church? Let's be, just be honest. Okay, so usually that is, and I've told you this before, that is the worst day. Like Sunday's the worst day at my house in the morning. I have one job, and it is to get the boy ready. Right? I have two girls and a boy. I just have to get the boy ready. The problem is he's my worst kid. So he's just like crazy wild all the time. Now he's a sweetheart like me, but he is just, man, he is crazy wild. And this morning, like he just didn't want to get dressed. He didn't want to brush his teeth. He didn't want to eat breakfast. So he had a popsicle for breakfast. We brushed teeth. We got some clothes on and he looks decent this morning. So we didn't have a fight this morning, so I'm a little afraid of what's going to happen after church because we didn't have the fight this morning. But we all come into this place with something on our mind. There's something that, that burdens us, and although we really want to leave it outside the door, right? We don't want to bring it in. We do anyway. And there's chains that we just carry around with us. So what I want to do before we even jump in to the, the text this morning is I just want to pray over you guys. And I want to pray that in this moment, the, the burdens are just kind of dropped. That the chains are just kind of dropped. That we truly allow the Spirit to speak into our life whatever He desires to speak to us this morning. So join me as we pray. God, we love You because You first loved us. God, You sent Jesus on a rescue mission for all of humanity. That even though we were sinners, even though we were rebellious, even though we were your enemy, you sent Jesus on a rescue mission for us. And it's because of that that we know what love is. We know what freedom is. We know what it is to, to live a life with purpose and hope. So God, I pray that in this moment, that all the burdens, all the struggles, all the chains that we brought into this place with us, that we lay it down at your feet. God, and that your spirit moves and speaks like never before in this place. And we give you all the honor and the glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 2. And what we've talked about so far in this series, just to catch you up if you're not a part of Impact Churches, is week one of this series, I just got to share my heart with our church and, and prayers that I have for you guys. And then last week, we looked at who Jesus was, Jesus as first, that He is the originator, that He is the sustainer, that He is the leader, that He is the reconciler, that He has done everything necessary for salvation, that we bring nothing to the table except our sin. 
We talked about that last week. And we really looked at how he was head of the church, that, that it's not me and it's not anyone else in this room, that he is the head of the church. And while the gospel is, is very cosmic and it does have social implications, the truth of the matter is this, the gospel starts in the lives of individuals. So I want to break it down this morning to speak directly to you as individuals in this place. I don't want to speak to you as a church body. I want to speak to you as an individual because the gospel starts with you. And I want you to know how important it is that you believe that this morning. In Colossians chapter 2, we're just going to read verses 6 through 15, and we're really going to land 13, 14, and 15, but we need to set it up because the context matters. Starting in verse 6, it says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in Him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In Him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised Him from the dead. Verse 13. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. This is what Paul is saying to this church again. He is writing this letter to a group of believers. So I want you to know that I'm speaking to Christians this morning, but I'm also speaking to those of you who haven't yet decided to follow Jesus because there's something here in this text for you, no matter where you are on the spectrum. No matter if you've already said yes to Jesus, no matter if you're still trying to figure things out, there is something for you in this text this morning. So let's start in verse 6. Paul says, therefore, and therefore meaning everything that we've already talked about. Therefore, because Jesus is first, because he loved first, because he went first, because he is first, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him this is what paul is saying and i think this is where we miss it a lot is that we think the gospel is is good for our justification but not our sanctification and in other words that means that we think that the gospel is what makes us a christian but we don't realize that it's the gospel that helps us live out the christian life as well a lot of us walk around thinking that we're about 90 percent saved that there's there's some things in our life that if, if God really knew about, then there's no way that he could forgive that. So we're about 90% saved, which means that we are 100% condemned because there's no such thing as less than 100% saved. But we walk around in this life and we think, okay, well, that was good enough for salvation, but it's not good enough for me to live life in. So we begin to add all these different things. And Paul says, no, the, the way you received Christ, walk in him the same way. 
The way that you just said, hey, I can't do this on my own. I need you to do for me what I cannot do myself. That same humility, walk in that. The same freedom that salvation is, it's the same freedom that you walk in. It's the same freedom that you live in. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus, so walk in Him. Uh, the, the Gospel of John puts it this way in John chapter 11. If you've been around church, you've heard the story of Lazarus and Jesus stays away and he comes four days after Lazarus dies and he gets there and he's like, hey, so roll the stone away. And the, the sisters are like, well, he's been in there a long time. And in the King James Version, they say he stinketh, which means that like he stinks bad. Like he's not just dead. He is dead, dead. And Jesus is like, yeah, I get it. But roll the stone away. So they roll the stone away and he says, Lazarus, come forth. And the first command that he gives Lazarus is take off the grave clothes because he was wrapped in all these, these dead man cloths because he was dead. What would have been insane is if Lazarus would have been raised to life but would have kept the dead man clothes on. But what we do is Jesus brings us from death to life and we have this temptation to go back and live the same way we lived before Jesus. And Paul is saying, hey, the same way you received Christ, walk in Him that way. Like it would be dumb of you to continue to walk as a dead man when He's brought you to life. And you don't have to live the way that you did because you're not who you used to be. God has changed you as a believer in Him. Verse 7 says, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. This is how you do it. You are rooted in the gospel of Jesus. There's so many things that we want to add to, to this Christian life. We want to add all this different activity. We want to add all this, this good behavior. And Paul says, man, it's all about the gospel. You can never graduate from the gospel of Jesus. Like you don't start at the gospel and then go somewhere else. There is nowhere else to go. The gospel is it. Stop trying to add stuff to the gospel. Be rooted in the fact that you are a sinner. Be rooted in the fact that you don't deserve grace, that you don't deserve love. Be rooted in the fact that although you're a big sinner, we serve a bigger Savior. Be rooted in the fact that He is bigger than your sin. Be rooted in the gospel. And what it should do is it should stir up in us worship and gratitude because we realize, man, we are so unworthy of His love and His grace. And that unworthiness, coupled with His love and His grace and His mercy, the gospel of Jesus stirs in us worship and gratitude for the Savior. Verse 8, Paul says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Paul lists four rivals to the gospel. He says, hey, so here's the gospel, but here are four things that are rivals to the gospel of Jesus. And he starts with philosophy. Now, philosophy in and of itself, there's, it's not bad. It's okay. Paul is talking about a, a philosophy that captivates you. In other words, Paul is saying, when you think you know better than God, there's a problem. When you live life thinking that you know best, there's a problem. When you get to a point and you say, I got this, there's a problem because guess what? You ain't got this. 
And neither do I. We need Jesus. And none of us would say it, right? None of us would say we know better than God. Like, I don't think anybody in here would say, yep, I'm smarter than him and I know better. It's not that we say it, it's that we live it. It's that in the decisions that we make, the way that we live life, our our attitude, our posture says that we know better than God. And Paul says, be careful. The second rival he mentions here is empty deceit. And this is, this is the world. And he says, hey, the world lies to you and tells you that the things of this world can fully satisfy you. And we begin to believe that the things of this world can satisfy us. And Paul says, be careful, man. That's empty deceit. And it is against the gospel of Jesus. Now, there's nothing wrong with stuff. How many of you like stuff? Let's just be honest and transparent in this place. Amen. My wife raised both hands and she ain't even in here. Now, there's nothing wrong with stuff. Like we should use stuff as a tool to, to stir up something in us so that we can thank the giver of all the good stuff. The problem is when we begin to worship the stuff and we begin to use God as some tool to get more stuff. And Paul says, man, it's not going to satisfy you. You're not going to be fully satisfied with this stuff. And this is a rival to the gospel. The third thing he mentions is human tradition. And, and maybe if you're new to church, or maybe if you've even been around church a long time, this will surprise you. But one of the primary rivals to the gospel is religion. And Paul is saying here that, hey, be careful because what religion is, is it's man's attempt to appease God. And there's nothing that we can do to appease Him. He has already done it all. Jesus going to the cross, defeating death, that is what God looks at. There's nothing we can do to say, hey, look at me. Are you satisfied with me? And He says, absolutely not because you are a sinner. So no amount of religious activity can appease God. It doesn't matter how much you read your Bible. It doesn't matter how much you, you say these prayers. It doesn't matter how much you, you try to do this. Now, all that stuff is good. But when it becomes just a routine and a religion and a tradition, Paul says, hey, be careful because that is the primary rival to the gospel. And it's a big problem here in the South because this is the Bible Belt, man. Everybody grew up in church. Like, grandma went to church, mama went to church, I go to church at least once a month. Like, they ain't, like church is just what it is. And I want you to know that going to church doesn't make you a Christian just as much as, like, sticking your head in the oven doesn't make you a biscuit. Like, it, don't, it doesn't work that way. Going to church doesn't make you a Christian. And Paul would say, hey, be careful, man. Be careful of this human tradition because it is a rival of the gospel and then the fourth rival he mentions and it gets a little spooky i guess he says elemental spirits and what he's talking about here is spiritual warfare and c.s lewis says there's two polar opposites of people when it comes to spiritual warfare there's there's some people who completely ignore it and just like well spiritual war- warfare isn't real and then there's another spectrum that like they kind of worship this stuff it's like if you wake up in the morning and you're having a horrible hair day and you're like, well, I didn't go to church because the devil like messed my hair all up. And it's like, nah, man, you just slept wrong. You need a haircut. Like, go see Miss April. Do something. Like, 
that wasn't the devil. Or, man, I ran out of gas on the way to church. The, the devil's like thwarting my plans to grow spiritually. It's like, nah, dude, you're dumb. Like, there's a gas needle for a reason. Like, if you run out of gas, it's your fault. So don't blame the devil. Don't give the devil credit for stuff. Like, you're good, you're good at sabotaging yourself. Like, I am too. I get it. But the truth is that there is an unseen world that affects and impacts the world that we live in. There is spiritual warfare happening all around us. The Bible is clear and says that the, the devil, the enemy, prowls around like a lion looking for something that it can devour. And what does that look like? Now, if you're turning through the TV, right, in the Discovery Channel, and you see the lion, and he's just kind of prowling around, and then they cut to like a group of little antelope over here, and it's like, all right, we know what's about to go down. Like, kids, turn the channel. This is about to get real. And the lion's just looking, and he's just, he's, he's prowling, man. And it's so cool because they're so smooth, and like, that's what the enemy does to us. And who does he go after? The lion always goes after like the three-legged one outside the group, right? And the truth is that the enemy always goes after the one that is disconnected from the church. That's why we talk so much here about getting plugged in and engaging in the mission because the enemy's looking for the one outside the circle. The enemy's looking for the one that's disconnected, that's isolated. And he will attack. And he, he's not trying just to hurt you. And he's trying to destroy you. And Paul says, hey, be careful because this stuff is happening. Verse 9 says, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. We will circle back to these verses. Verse 11, In him also you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. All right, so Paul gets a little weird. He starts talking about circumcision. Now, if you don't know what circumcision is, Google it or ask your mom. Um, I'm not going to get too graphic, but the Old Testament symbol for having a personal relationship with God was circumcision. So what, what circumcision is, if you don't know, is, is kind of is taking away some flesh, right, and discarding it, right, to not be very graphic. That's what it is. And Paul is saying that this has happened to you without human hands. Now, he's not like, he's not saying the rabbi was there and was like, hey, look, mom, no hands and uses his feet. Like, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about this happened spiritually in your life. That God took some flesh, the old man, and he put it to death and he discarded it away. He's saying this happened to you as a believer, is that when you accepted Jesus, that there was a spiritual circumcision that took place, that he took the old man, he put it to death, and he discarded it. Verse 12, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Now, if the Old Testament symbol of a personal relationship with Jesus was circumcision, thank God that the New Testament symbol is baptism, right? Because if it was circumcision, there wouldn't be a whole lot of guys coming to Impact 101. It would just be a, a bunch of females and be like, man, there ain't no men at this church. But thank God that it is now baptism. And baptism, really really quickly, baptism isn't what saves you, right? So it's, kind of, it's an outward sign. It's like my wedding ring. This wedding ring is a symbol of my relationship with Ashley. 
Now, if I take this off, it doesn't mean that my relationship with her doesn't exist. Like, my relationship with her is what it is. Like, in itself is the relationship. The ring is just a symbol. I could give you my ring. It doesn't mean that you're married to Ashley. Like, she's mine. You can't have her. But the ring is just an outward symbol. That's what baptism is. And Paul is saying, hey, this is the New Testament symbol. It is baptism. And as you are buried, as we, as we dunk you in the water, it is a symbol of you being buried with Christ. The water is a symbol of the blood of Jesus cleansing away your sin. And then you are raised to newness in life as a new person in Jesus. It is a symbol of of a personal relationship with Jesus. But if you don't do that, it doesn't mean that you aren't a believer. It is a symbol of that relationship. When we pull people out of the water, they don't magically become saved in that moment. It's a sign of what's already happened in their life. Now, we do hold some people under a little longer depending on who they are. Y'all join us in a few weeks. We're doing some baptisms. You might want to Stick around for that. Verse 13. We said all that to get here, man. We're set up for this, for these last three verses. And these verses, they will change your life if you allow the Spirit to speak to you this morning. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. Listen, man, the Gospel is not about bad people trying to do better. Your sin hasn't made you bad. It has made you dead. You're not just a bad person. You are a dead person. The gospel is about dead people coming to life. See, Jesus didn't come to make you better. He came to make you alive. He didn't just come to make you a good person or a better person. No, your, your sin has made you dead spiritually. And Jesus said, hey, I'm going to bring dead people back to life spiritually. And what can dead people do to bring themselves back to life? Nothing. Like you can't do anything. You're, there, I've never seen a dead person take, take the paddles and say clear and like hit themselves. It doesn't happen. When you're dead, you're dead and you need someone to do for you what you cannot do for yourself. And Jesus said, hey, that's me. I got you. Man, we're not just bad people. And I hope you get it. We're not just bad people. We are dead people without Jesus. And He didn't come just to say, hey, I want you to be better. No, He came and said, I want you to be alive in Me. Now, I want you to read this word with me. Put, put verse 13 back up here. After the second comma, at the end, right, it says, having forgiven us, what? All trespasses. All trespasses. Not just some of them. It says all of them. So as we walk around and we, we feel like we're just 90% saved, it's that 10% that we're like, hey, we haven't, there's a bucket of sin over here that we haven't told anybody about. There's a bucket over here that nobody knows about. My spouse doesn't know about. My best friend doesn't know about. My mom and dad don't know about. No one knows about this. So I believe, I believe he's forgiven all this other stuff, but man, I, I'm not sure I've forgiven myself about this. So I know that Jesus hasn't forgiven me. And Paul says here, hey, he forgives all trespasses. Even the unforgiveness you have to yourself, his forgiveness is bigger than that. 
and he forgives all. All the stuff, all the, all the behavior, and you're like, hey, man, well, you don't really know what I'm doing right now. That's cool. I don't have to know because the Bible says that he's forgiven all trespass. And in Greek, the word all means all. Like, it's all. It's everything. He's forgiven all. And you say, well, how could he do this? How could he raise me to newness of life? How could he forgive all of my sin? And this is how, in verse 14, it says, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. So this is what happens. Back in, back in the day, they didn't have like these cool computer systems, right, that we have now. Some of you, you kind of remember those days back in the day. But I don't, right? I've always had computers. But there was a record of debt. And when you went to court in Rome, you had to take your record of debt with you to court. And many times they made the, the criminal or whoever was being charged write out their own record of debt. And they would take this to court. And there was a whole legal system. So it, was, it wasn't just some willy-nilly thing. The judge just wasn't like, hey, well, I don't like you. This is it. No, there was a Senate. There was a governing body. They had already made up the, the punishment for the crime. So you, you would have your record of debt. You would take it to court. And then you would be punished according to this. And this is what this is what Paul is talking about. He's using a term that they would know about. And he says, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. Well, how did he do it? It says this at the end of verse 14. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Man, the, the death of Jesus is more than we could ever fathom. Because this is, this is it, man. This is, this is what we deserve. This is, this is our record of debt. This is our sin. What if we had to write out all of our sin and bring it to church next week? We would need way more than one page, and we would probably fill up our cars, right? And there'd be stuff on it. It'd be everywhere. And Jesus says, hey, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take care of that record of debt. And you say, well, how are you going to do it? He says, well, I'm going to nail it to the cross. This is... This is what Jesus did. Jesus took this, this record of debt and He is on the cross. And He, he takes this and He says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to nail. I'm going to nail your record of debt to the cross. Here it is. It is on the cross. And the blood of Jesus covers your record of debt. So you go up to the judge and you say, hey, Here's my record of debt, but I can't see any of it. It's, it's covered by, by the blood of Jesus. And God says, okay, well, that's cool. Let me give you my record. Let me give you the record of Jesus. It is perfect and holy and blameless. And he says, that's how you are brought to life. That all of the sin, all of the filthiness, all of the struggle, all of the mess, I nailed it to the cross and the blood of Jesus covers it all. This is the gospel. The gospel is that what we deserve, we don't get because of His mercy and His grace and His forgiveness. Verse 15 says, He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them 
to open shame by triumphing over them in him. And this is this is what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, hey, so the enemy had one, one weapon, one eternal weapon against you, and it was the weapon of, of condemnation. He could condemn you to hell. And when Jesus is on the cross and he pushes up on his nail-pierced feet and he says, it is finished, man, the enemy's thinking, we did it. We won. We beat him. We can condemn everyone now. And then three days later, when Jesus rose from the dead, defeating death once and for all, he, he, he took it out. The devil no longer had the weapon of condemnation against anyone because Jesus has paid it in full for you and for me. See, most Christians... They walk around, they walk around like this. There's this, there's this sign that they have, and they put this sign on, and they just walk around, thinking, hey, so maybe 90% of me is, is saved, but man, I feel condemned. And maybe some of you are sitting in this place and you, you have this around you and you feel condemned because of your past, because of your present, because of your addiction, because of your activity, because of your struggle. And you walk around feeling condemned. And we just see, or we just saw that Paul said, hey, like Jesus took that out. He triumphed over the enemy. And the, the Apostle Paul would say, in the book of Romans, that and he understands this feeling. In chapter 7, he says this, For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good, so now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. This is what he says in verse 22. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. How many, have you been there? Where it's like, man, I really want to do what God has called me to do. I really want to live out the Christian life. And you, and you do really good and Sunday comes and you get encouraged and you get motivated and you get inspired and man, you go home about Monday night, something's, something's going crazy in your brain and there's a war going on and you, and you just feel condemned because you can't do what God has called you to do. This is, this is Paul's conclusion. He says, wretched man that I am. The guy that wrote most of the New Testament would say, man, I am a wretched man. He would say, I understand this feeling. I understand feeling condemned because I want to do good and I can't do it. There's a, there's a battle that's going on within me. 
And he says, who will deliver me from this body of death? And then he answers his own question and says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh, I will serve the law of sin. And then Paul, and it's a verse we, we say here a lot, the very next chapter, chapter 8, verse 1, says there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Listen, we walk around with this. The dictionary would say that three things about condemnation. Three definitions. Number one is express complete disapproval of. And some of you would say, yeah, that's me. There's no way that, that God could approve of me. If you knew about my past, if you knew about the stuff I'm doing right now, if you knew about my, my affair, if you knew about my divorce, if you knew about my abortion, if you knew about all this stuff, there's no way that God could approve of me. And the Bible is, is clear, and it says, yeah, so he's forgiven all trespasses. And he, he's not approving of you, he's approving of Jesus, who has paid the record of debt for you. You don't have to stand condemned. The second definition would say, very simply, sentenced to death. And, you, and maybe you're saying, yeah, well, that's what I deserve. I deserve to be sentenced to death. I deserve to be sentenced to death. And you know, that's the truth. We do deserve it. And God would say, hey, but I'm sending someone on a rescue mission for you to pay the price for you. To pay it all in full for you. The third definition is a building term and it's a vessel deemed unfit for use. And maybe some of you are walking around with this sign thinking that, man, I'm just unfit for use. My old church told me because of, because of the stuff I used to do, like the gospel isn't good enough for me. Maybe you've talked to some other Christians in your life and they just told you, man, God can never use you because of your past, because of who you are. And you, I, I told you we were coming back to, to a couple verses. This is what they say. For in Him whom the, the fullness of deity dwells bodily and you have been filled in Him. This is what Jesus says. He says, hey, they say you're unfit for use. Well, this is what I say. I want to come make my permanent dwelling place inside of you. You don't have to live this way anymore. And there's some people in this room. You need to, you need to take this off because Jesus has already done everything necessary and you need to believe that there is now no condemnation in those who are in Christ Jesus. But we're walking around with the chains of condemnation, with the chains of addiction, with the chains of unforgiveness, with the chains of all of this stuff. And what we need to do in this moment is we need to take this and we need to, we just need to throw it down. Thank you for joining us at the Impact Church Podcast. For this and other messages, visit us online at impactharlem.org. In the meantime, you can subscribe to this podcast, rate and review it on iTunes, and share it with your friends on social media. Once again, thanks for joining us at the Impact Church Podcast.